Welcome to the Kerwin Baptist Church broadcast today. Our desire is for the Word of God to be spread throughout the world so that all may know Christ. Join us now for a portion of one of our services here at Kerwin Baptist Church, located in Kernersville, North Carolina. Hebrews chapter 10. You know, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, we went through that a couple weeks ago, when Adam and Eve sinned, and of course we know Eve sinned, and then Adam did, and when all that happened, mankind fell into what we would call the evil clutches of Satan. But it did not catch God by surprise. And I've preached on this out of the chapter of Psalm 34. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means this, when Satan, we believe, rebelled out of heaven and and took a third of the host with him, and we don't really hear anything from Satan until the Garden of Eden when he shows back up with Eve. And so we believe that as God in creation, he chose earth, and the earth was his. And we, we know that all of it's his. Why would he say that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Here's why. Because God chose earth to be the final battlefield where Satan would be defeated. If he, if he didn't choose a place, then Satan would have just kept going There had to be a place where it all came to a head, where it all came to a close. So this was all part of God's plan. And when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and Satan showed up and man was created with a will of his own, we have the right to choose, we have the ability to choose. And yes, Christ died on the cross for us and he's provided salvation for us, but we still have to choose it. We're not just saved because we come into church. We're not just saved because our mom and dads chose it. You and I have to come to a point in our life where we choose to put our faith and trust in Christ. It's our choice because we have a will. When all that happened, this is all part of God's plan. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it did not catch God by surprise. And he made the proclamation, a promise that a lamb would come to take away the sins of the world. And then we find that came into fruition there in that little town of Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2 where we shared, where literally from a virgin birth that Jesus was born in lowly, humble means, and He was the Savior of the world. He was provided on that night who had been promised uh, thousands of years earlier. But listen to Him. Now He's presented. And this is where the controversy takes place because, you know, just because something is provided, that doesn't bother anybody. But when you claim to be God and when you claim to be the Messiah, you are going to ruffle a few feathers. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And by the way, the name of Jesus is not a uniter. Jesus is a divider. There has been division ever since. Jesus made his rightful claim. You want, to, you want to cause a division in a church? You want to cause division in a town? You want to cause division on TV? Just bring up the name of Jesus. You're going to have division. You just talk about, you know, the God somewhere. People don't get ruffled about that. Because in their mind, they're thinking of a hundred different gods. But when you say Jesus Christ, that's division. And here, Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 10 had been literally presented. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want you to look at verse 10. Let's read our verses and we'll get through this very quickly this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. 
by the which will, or by His will. We are sanctified, that means you and I, we are sanctified, listen to this, through the offering of the body of Jesus. Do you understand the gruesomeness from those words? We are told that you and I were sanctified and can have sanctification. We can have salvation because of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice this, once for all. Boy, that kind of cuts down the whole election thing, doesn't it? His body was offered once for only those that He chose. It was once for all. Look at verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, notice this, which can never take away sins. That means a priest offering sacrifice in Old Testament days couldn't take away sins and a priest Offering sacrifice for sins nowadays cannot take away sins. Isn't it amazing how clear the Bible is? You know what's wonderful? You don't have to go to a priest for confession. You can go right to Christ. Because a priest, their sacrifice, listen to me, never covered sin. It only made it for one year that you would be away from that sin. And then the next year, you'd have to come back in Old Testament days, and you would have to offer a cleansing, pure lamb, and they would offer sacrifices, the priest would, and what it would do, it would basically cover over your sin for a year, but then you would have to keep getting sacrifice and keep covering it over again. But the Bible says that when Jesus offered His body, the perfect lamb, it was once for all. Notice verse but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins... Now, we already talked about the doctrine of election, that you know what, he died for all, not just those he chose. Listen to this. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Amen. that's eternal security. Amen. You can't lose your salvation once you got it. Amen. Because it was once for our sins forever. Amen sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting. Now, let me illustrate this term. And it's interesting how this word, and I, I had to study it a little bit, and this is, you know, we use a term nowadays called expecting. How many of you ladies know what I'm talking about? It's not a real fun period. It's a time where you know that, you know what, this is going to be happening, and you're anxious. You're ready. You're thinking, boy, you know, I'm expecting. I know this is going to be happening. That's why we call when a lady is pregnant, we say she's expecting. That, that, that's not a medical term. It just means that she knows this is going to be taking place, and so it's on her mind. And the Bible says that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God expecting. He is waiting. He is anxious because he knows it's coming. You say, well, why hasn't he just come? Because only God the Father knows when that time is, is happening. And the Bible says that at some point, the God the Father is going to look to God the Son and say, it's time. And He's going to come get His bride. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, listen to this, I want you to get this. For by one offering, He hath perfected forever them 
that are sanctified. Wow, what does this mean? I'm going I'm to just in a few brief moments explain all this. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you this morning. Bless your word as you always do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number one, I want you to notice this morning the tragedy of the Lamb's persecution. We are told in these verses, look at verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified. We, we are sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. The tragedy of the Lamb's persecution. You and I are sanctified because of the persecution that He went through. Now, I want you to notice first the reality of this tragedy. This verse employs a phrase that I think is very interesting. It says, through the offering of the body. That means this, that the body of Christ was sacrificed. That means this, that there was pain and agony beyond anybody's comprehension. Here's why. Because the spiritual of taking the sins of the world was placed on a physical body. That means this, if I pulled one of you out of the crowd and we, for some crazy reason, there's to be no reason to do this, if I pulled you up here and we crucified you and we put you through everything, every last little detail that Jesus went through, listen to me, it would be horrible. But it would not be anything compared to what Jesus went through. Here's why. Because all you have is your physical body feeling pain. But we have here our sanctification, which means the sins of the world, my sins, your sins, everybody's sins, it was placed on the body of Jesus Christ. That means this, he didn't just feel physical pain, he felt spiritual suffering. Because his body was offered. He was betrayed by, Jesus, by Judas... He was deserted by the disciples. He was beaten by the temple guards. He was rejected by the very people he came to save. He was beaten and scourged and spit on. And they placed a crown of thorns on his head. They shoved a spear in his side. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. He was mocked by soldiers. His beard was plucked from his face. He was stripped naked in front of people. There's a doctor named C. Truman Davis... And as a doctor who was not a Christian, and they asked him if he could to describe what Jesus went through. And in a non-Christian way, a very, I guess what you would call an objective way, this is how he described it. He said from reading all historical accounts, biblical accounts, this is the best way he could describe it. Listen to this. He said, the cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of his wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the same action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backwards against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail was driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, 
excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. He fights to raise himself up in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and breathe in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids have reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in a small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. And all this was recorded in a few simple words, and they crucified him. That's all the Bible said about it. All the Bible says was, and they crucified him. Never goes through all the torment, never explains every detail of what the Savior went through for us. It simply says because it was part of the plan, it was promised, it was provided, and now it was presented that he was to die for our sanctification. That's the real tragedy of our Lamb's persecution. I want you to notice second, not only the reality of this tragedy, I want you to notice the reason for this tragedy Look at verse 10. This is what it says. By the which will, or by the will of his Father. Listen to this. We are sanctified. You know the reason all that happened? Do you know the reason he went through all that? The reason for all of it is so that you and I can be saved. No other reason. He wasn't getting a raise. He wasn't getting a job promotion. He wasn't getting anything that you and I would think is wonderful from doing this. He got nothing from this but pain and suffering. But you and I got everything. The tragedy of the Lamb's persecution. Secondly, I want you to see the testimony of the Lamb's purchase. Look, if you would, at verse 10. It says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the, blood, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want you to notice first the testimony of conversion. 
You know what that word sanctified means? It means to be holy. It means to be set apart. The ideal here is that through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the shedding of His precious blood, all who come to Him are made holy. Do you have any idea what that means? Because of everything He went through, you and I can be seen in God's eyes as holy. Now, I don't know if you know much about the Bible or not, but you and I were not holy when we came to Christ. We are not holy naturally. We are born in sin. We have a sinful flesh. We have a sinful nature. We were not holy when we came to Christ. But somehow, after you and I come to Christ, now we're seen as holy. Why? Because of His blood. Because of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Thank God there is power in His blood. There is power to save a lost soul. There is power to transform a lost sinner. There is power to literally bring about an instant, complete, and eternal transformation in the life. A testimony of conversion. Do you know, dear friend, you and I, we are a testimony of conversion. What does it mean to be converted? It takes a person who is not holy, who gives their hearts to Christ, and now they are holy. We've been converted. We've been upgraded. I love watching these shows where they take an old car, classic car, it's rusty, and in 28 minutes of television. <laughs> and the average person, average guy sitting in the recliner says, I'm going to go buy me one of those and do that. It won't take you 28 minutes. I'm going to tell you that right now. It takes you 28 years. And $28,000 is what it's going to take. But I love to see transformation. I love to see conversion. Don't you love to take something that's almost worthless and through the touch of people that know what they're doing, it turns into something valuable. That's exactly what you and I are. We are a testimony of conversion. You and I who were not holy because of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, now we are sanctified. In the eyes of God, it is as if we have never sinned. I guess I'm the only one excited about that. Number two, I want you to see not only a testimony of conversion, but a testimony of conquest. Look at verse 11. This is great. And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now listen, let me explain this again. That means this. Every time a priest made sacrifice for sins... It did not take away the sin. It just covered it for a year. A year later, they would have to come right back and ask sacrifice and, and obviously ask forgiveness for the exact same sins every year. That means this. Every, anything ever through a priest, it never took it away. It just covered it for a while. But what is interesting about this verse, verse 12, notice this. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice of sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That means this, he conquered sin when every priest up until that day had failed. You talk about conquest. They did it every year. 
And they did it almost every day for people coming with sins. And they would go in and they would go through the whole rigmarole. And they would go through all the tradition and all the religious sacrifices. And all it would do is appease God for one year. And then they'd have to come right back and do it all again. But Jesus only had to do it one time. And sin was taken care of. My goodness! You and I ought to be excited. We can walk out of this building sinless in the eyes of God. Third, I want you to see a testimony of completion. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, notice this, by one offering, that means Jesus made one offering, His body, for by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, do you see that phrase? What Jesus did on the cross, it perfected forever them that are sanctified. So when I come to Christ and I get saved, that means that the righteousness of Christ is put on me. So God sees me as sinless. God sees me as holy. But guess what? Here's what is wonderful about this verse. The Bible says what Jesus did on the cross, it perfected forever them that are sanctified. So guess how long that conversion lasts? Forever. You talk about completion. Whatever Jesus does, He does it right. He only had to do it once. And when He did it once, He did it right. He completed it. He had victory. He had conquest. And He completed it so perfectly that you and I, we are perfect forever in the eyes of God. Now let me remind you, we were not perfect when we came to Christ. And you and I are not perfect after we get saved. I know some of you think I am, but it's not true. Some of you are like, yeah, whatever. Dear friend, look at me. Here's the whole point. It's not really important what I am in your eyes. You might see that there's imperfections in Daniel Hotry, and there's a lot. I live with my wife. She sees more imperfections than you do. But the only thing that matters is what I am in the eyes of God. And Jesus, when he died and he sacrificed his body to purchase our sanctification, he perfected that forever, which means forever, although I'm not perfect and although I do sin and I do make mistakes, it has been covered by the blood of Christ that whenever from now to the end of eternity, whenever God sees me, because I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God sees me as holy, sanctified, set apart, and sinless. You and I ought to be so excited we couldn't even eat lunch today. But we're just used to this. I want you to notice thirdly, We've seen the tragedy of the Lamb's persecution, the testimony of the Lamb's purchase, but third, I want you to see the triumph of the Lamb's presentation. Number one, I want you to see under this the triumph of His resurrection. Look at verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what happened to Jesus? Well, I don't know that He really came out of the grave, and I, you know, I don't know if I believe that whole thing, what happened, and you know, the angel rolled the stone away, and... Okay, well, let's, let's not even look at that scripture. Let's look at a totally different scripture. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we're told exactly what happened. Look, if you would, look at verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what? Sat down on the right hand of God. That's where he's at right now. 
That means this. He was resurrected or he wouldn't be sitting at the right hand of God. The triumph of his resurrection. Let me tell you why this is so exciting. The fact that he offered sacrifice for sins forever. What did he have to do to sacrifice? He had to what? Die. But the fact that the next phrase says he sat down at the right hand of God means that he's not dead. So that means if he's not dead, that means he conquered death. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that means I don't have to die either. Dear friends, the Bible proves it over and over again. Simple truth is, do you believe the Bible or not? People want to argue with you. It doesn't matter what we show some people. They don't really believe the Bible, so we're going to be wasting our time. If you believe the Bible, it'll teach you. I want you to notice, secondly and lastly, the triumph of his reigning. Look at verse 13. From henceforth, that means this, he sacrificed his body for our sanctification. You and I are made holy through the blood of Christ, and we are perfected forever. That means this, we don't have to keep going back for sacrifice. We don't have to keep going every year in the same day to get forgiveness of sin like they did in the Old Testament day. Once Jesus Christ did it, it was forever. We're perfected forever. We don't have to keep getting forgiveness. We don't have to keep getting saved over and over again. When we've been saved, it's forever. And after he offered his body, after he made sacrifice for our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God. Okay. Now, what is he doing now? From henceforth, that means from that moment, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Let me tell you what he's waiting on. We've already seen what we didn't necessarily physically see, but we know from the Bible that he resurrected from the dead. You believe that? So the triumph of his resurrection has already happened. But guess what we will one day see? The triumph of his reigning. The Bible says he's coming back to rule and to reign. Let me tell you what's special about this. The Bible just makes it so concise. From henceforth, he's expecting, waiting, anxious. That means this whole time while our society and our culture is getting worse and worse and worse. And as we, and by the way, our churches are getting more sinful and more sinful and more worldly and more worldly, we're letting the world into our church left and right. I don't care what you think about that, I'm right about that. It's getting more worldly and more worldly and we're justifying it by a lot of unbiblical reasons. And while we sit back and we see things getting more worldly and things getting worse, things getting more sinful, and, and, and we're getting less of God and less of holiness, by the way, if you think, well, why are you saying that the world's coming into the church? Because the church is getting less and less holy. And the Bible says when he offered his body, he made us holy. So we're supposed to be holy. That means the church is supposed to be holy. But it's not anymore. But that's a free one there, right there. That's not a real popular Sunday morning message, but hey, I'm on pills, so. I like I can say anything I want today because I got a good excuse. I'm just picking. Look at me. Let me tell you why this is so special. The Bible says Jesus is waiting. He's expecting at the right hand of God. Because the day is going to come. Look at me. Not only will he return for his own, but the day is coming where his enemies will be his footstool. Now, what is that a sign of? You and I think, obviously, we think of like an ottoman 
we rest our foot on that. It's not what we're talking about here. It's basically talking about a wooden floor like in a barn. He's literally going to tread his feet on them. That means this, that all these enemies that have been rearing up and, and, and they seem to be taking over everything and the whole world's going that way and the people don't like Christ, they don't like the name of Christ and they don't like to stand up for Jesus Christ and they don't like to stand up for what the Bible says is real salvation. They don't like to do all that and all these people, there, the Bible says there's going to be a falling away and, and, and things are going to get worse and worse and Jesus is just waiting. And while things are getting worse and worse and things are going one direction and everybody thinks, well, that's popular and everybody seems to be going there. And the Bible says that, hey, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. So there's going to be a whole bunch more people heading one direction and there's not going to be very many of us heading the other direction. And Jesus is just waiting. Because when the time comes... All those things that you and I thought were taking over everything and everybody seems to be going there and they seem to be the ones in control. Literally, Jesus will step on them with his feet. They will be nothing compared to him. Why do you think he's acting? Why isn't he just sitting? Why is he expecting? Let me tell you why. Because he sees what's going on. And buddy, we're just not standing up for him and his name is thrown in mud and, and abused. He's just waiting. Just waiting. God the Father at some point is going to say, all right, it's time. Thank you for listening today. We hope you received a blessing from our broadcast. The Kerwin Baptist Church is located at 4520 Old Hollow Road in Kernersville, North Carolina. You may also contact us by phone at 336-993-5192 or via the web at KerwinBaptistChurch.com. Enjoy our services live and all our media on our website and church app. Thank you for listening to the Kerwin broadcast today. God bless you.